Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry, only on BlueNile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands, all hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Back to Tennis Unfiltered with me, James Gray of inews.co.uk and the iNewspaper. I've got a full house today. Well, not technically, technically, but uh, they're here. George Belshaw, Calvin Betton. We're going to look back at day five at Wimbledon where Andy Murray finally completed his match against Stefanos Tsitsipas. Carlos Alcaraz, Novak Djokovic all in action too. Uh, but really, that I suspect that most of this mini-pod is going to be Andy Murray related. So if that doesn't interest you, move on now. Uh, but it does interest us. He lost in five sets to Stefano Tsitsipas. They suspended at 6-7, 7-6, 6-4. Murray two sets to one up. Uh, they returned onto centre court just about half four on Friday afternoon. And uh, Murray lost both sets. Firstly in a tiebreak and then 6-4 in the last. Um, I don't really know who wants to go first on this. George, you look the most alert. Um <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's something I can very rarely say. Uh, I mean, it is a it's it's a pretty disappointing loss for Murray, isn't it? Yeah, which feels in many ways a really funny thing to say because I think if you take the broad context of Murray's career, the fact he's still able to turn up at thirty six with a metal hip, take on the fifth seed, and give him a a proper 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 match. I mean, that's that's probably Sissipas's best win on a grass court that I can I can think of really um, and yeah I, I think he's going to have so many regrets about this match probably as many as he's going to have at any Wimbledon match in his career um, I felt he was far too passive in some of those tie breaks uh, the ones he lost it, he refused to go for that backhand down the line I don't know if it was just him not feeling confident on that shot but by the later stages of the match, Sissipas was so far over trying to cover his terrible backhand. I mean, it's terrible. <laughs> and, you know, Murray was re- when Murray got on top of it, it was 
really exposed and you could see he had to move over desperately trying to get onto the forehand but you, you have to be brave enough to take that on down the line and he just wasn't and I think he'll really look back at that and think if I was in my prime if I was feeling really confident I'd have put him to bed and I think the matchup with I kind of compare Murray and Djokovic sometimes because they've got quite similar backhands to a degree you know extreme high level backhands that are capable of taking anyone on from that side really and you look at Djokovic's head-to-head against Tsitsipas it's 10 in a row now Djokovic has won and it's because he's taking that shot on so well he can hurt Tsitsipas in the backhand side with his backhand but he's good enough to go down the line which so many players really aren't good enough and that's why Tsitsipas is a top 10 player because his weapons are so good that you have to have such a good backhand to get on top of him still um the other thing that obviously Murray, as we saw in press afterwards, regrets is that challenge. You know, well, the non that was a huge moment. The non-challenge. And considering some of the challenges he put in, to not challenge that is absolutely mental. I mean, there's been a long-running joke for years that Murray's like the worst challenger on the tour. Um, but he took it to new extremes against Sitibas. I mean, he challenged a couple of balls that were about a foot out and didn't didn't go for it on that. And I, 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 just, I just don't get that. Like, he... It was so close at such a big moment. There's actually no harm throwing your hand up at that moment. So, yeah, I, f- I don't want to be too harsh on him because he's, he's still pushed a very elite player all the way on one of the biggest stages. And that, that we should accept that is good for Murray at this stage in his career. But with the draw afterwards, you know, Sissipas has just rolled Laszlo Gier. I think Murray would have done that. Christopher Eubanks in the fourth round, you know, he's playing really well. But that's a great fourth round draw. There's no getting around that. You know, Murray could have been in the quarterfinals here and that would have been absolutely amazing. Feel good story of the British summer, probably. Um, and it it just feels a bit flat for me. Calvin, let's get into the first point George was talking about there, which is the, the backhand down the line. We, we were discussing it live in the WhatsApp group that Murray wasn't pulling the trigger on that backhand down the line. Now, it's not a shot, I suppose, we've necessarily associated with him with a lot over the years for whatever reason, maybe just because he could go into grind mode and, and not miss. But why do you think he wasn't willing to, to do that? And I found the frustration in thinking like, with, you know, and there's, there's nobody who, who slates Sitsipas's backhand more than me. <laughs> and as Georgia just said, it is crap. Like his backhand is, is crap at that level. But I, I, you know, the key words there are at that level. Like, he can make backhands. Yeah. He's not just going to miss backhands. And Murray's tactic just seemed to be he was just going to keep putting it to his backhand and hope he was going to miss. But that that's not really the tactic. That, the tactic is you pressure his backhand with pace and height, and then he'll either he'll enforce him to miss it or he'll, give you, he'll open the court up that you can go the other way. And Murray just seemed, the tactic just seemed to be just going to keep rolling it to his backhand at mid-pace and hope he moved. And that, that's not, his backhand's not that bad. Like, you know, it's, he can make backhands. In a, he's like, you know, he can drill backhands back. But in that one point that we're talking about, I think it was the three-all point, hmm. he, there was a two or three, three half three, chances. Three in the fourth set tiebreak, is that right? Yeah, yeah. Three-all three in the, in the fourth set tiebreak, yeah. There were three, two or three half chances three-quarter chances where there was a chance there to really... I think there was one where it wasn't even a backhand line. He could have just just whipped a forehand cross-court. Hmm. And he chose to not. He chose to just roll it back down the line to sit, sit past his backhand. And 
Like, what are you hoping to get from that back? And you're hoping he's just going to miss it. So he's not going to do that under pressure with no pace. But And it's, again, it's like George says, I think he will be massively disappointed. You can see that in the press conference. But it's also, it's kind of the story of most of the matches in Murray's career that he's lost. He was just too passive. Mm. And it's yeah. it's a difficult one because it's also the reason maybe that the reason he's won three slams and he's been one of the top 20 players of all time and he's been one of the top five British athletes of all time is because he doesn't miss under pressure. He makes balls under pressure. But also the reason why he's not, he hasn't won more than three slams is because he tries not to miss under pressure. I made the comparison in copy between him and Roger Federer, which probably isn't a very accurate one. And thinking about it, there's a better one. But the point is that when Roger Federer came back after that, kind of hiatus in 2016 um, I think it was 2016 he uh, you know he had a, a more aggressive game style and as his career went on alright he was always quite an aggressive player but as his career went on he got more aggressive and actually I think the better comparison now I think about it is Novak Djokovic who does have the ability to go into don't miss mode but one of the great underrated elements of Novak Djokovic's game and, and that has evolved over the years is the power of his forehand and the aggression that he can hit that forehand with. And I mean, I, we've had this conversation before, but I don't think it's ever been laid so plainly that Murray hasn't made that evolution and he hasn't, on either wing, kind of committed to the fact that he has to just pull the trigger. I mean, I always remember, um, I think it was Steve Waugh that said it, the cricketer, that mental toughness is basically playing every ball on its merit. And that's what Murray doesn't do. He doesn't play every ball on its merit. If, if there's, And that's what the difference what you're talking about with Djokovic. Djokovic, is, 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 his tactics or his strategy tend to be he's going to be very, very solid from the baseline and not miss. But if there's a ball to be hit, to take advantage of it on merit, he's going to do it. Hmm. And Murray, he does it a lot of the time. But as we saw the other day, there were balls that on merit needed to be hit. And he chose to not hit them. He chose the safer option. I think the really important point there is that because Djokovic does that in every single match he plays, when it becomes the biggest moment, he's used to going for it. He's not afraid to do it. And that's why he's one of the best of all times. He makes amazing shots in huge moments or what feel amazing shots because of the pressure that's on it. But it's a rhythm for him. And you could tell with Murray... In those moments, particularly that three-all point in the tie-break, when the shots were there to be taken, he's not done it. He wasn't willing to take it on. And, and it really, really cost him in the end. I'll say this on it. I, I don't think it's that he's afraid to take them. I, I don't think it's that at all. I don't think, he's, he, I don't think he chokes or he, he bottles it or anything like that. I think he actually thinks, he convinces himself that tactically it's the best decision to do that. That tactically, his whole, you've got to remember this is somebody, it's deeper than this, is somebody whose whole career, right through his time in tennis, from juniors, from under 12s, it's been about making the opponent miss, waiting for the opponent miss, frustrating his opponents so much that they will miss. It's, it's hard to change that. Um, it's hard to change that mentality at 36 years old. And that's, that's the problem, I think. I will say, moving on to the, um, the, the challenge on the return. I think everything that you both said is correct, but there's another there's another layer to it as well that it really shouldn't be his decision to make. And I've I've been a big advocate of always having human line judges. I don't like. I, I still don't really want Hawkeye to be making all the calls. I know it's coming in next year, but there's an argument if it was Murray would be in the fourth round yeah. tomorrow, or or he could be. 
and that that's why he probably does have to come in hmm. that we can't have you know it's, yeah he should have challenged it there's no question but the match shouldn't rely on the player deciding to challenge that mm-hmm. it should be the, the correct call should have been made also wasn't that hard a call yeah, yeah uh, uh, so just for kind of context and maybe if people have missed this this moment it was four all in games in the fourth set 15-30 so technically Murray was six points away from winning the match if you want to play that kind of maths game um, Sitsipas landed a first serve Murray got a decent amount of backhand on it and it landed very very short uh, on the sideline uh, into the backhand wing so cross court onto the sideline about halfway up the service box probably it really was very short um, and Sitsipas got across and then hit the slice backhand into the net probably irrelevant that he did that because the call had come that it was out um, Murray seemed to look over at the box uh, as though to say, and they were down that at the other end, you know, should I challenge it? But there was a bit of confusion. He, I think he says he didn't hear that it was called out um, initially. He looked at the umpire. The umpire seemed to indicate, yes, it was out. But of course, what else is the umpire going to say? And afterwards, there is a pretty incredible moment of drama in the press conference where Neil McClemon of the Mirror tells Murray that the ball was actually in, which is what millions of people at home knew because the BBC showed the Hawkeye replay a little bit later on. And Murray's face just fell. I I mean, it was heartbreaking in some ways because it was that realisation that he actually could have won that match and all he had to do was, I think, go with his gut. Um, I don't know whether the box told him to challenge or not. I've spoken to one or two people who are convinced that they did. Uh, I actually I walked past Mark Hilton the other day and, and wondered whether I should... Uh, whether I should be like, oh, Hiltz, that, that, that was in, right? But maybe didn't didn't feel like the uh, ideal moment to uh, ask that particular question. Um, yeah, I mean, George, I, I guess this does come down to the same question of automation. Murray quite sort of candidly said, well, probably not the best person to ask right now because, like, obviously right now I think it should be automated. Uh, it won't go to full automation at Wimbledon, of course. They've been quite rigid with that. Um, but yes, as Calvin mentions, it's going to be rolled out across the ATP Tour next year, Hawkeye Live. And I, I don't know whether this is the right lens to look through that moment with, George. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm i sort of a bit in, in both camps on this one. I, I do think there's a, a bit of a risk of kind of not getting empires through the game if you cut out kind of line umpires' jobs. I do think that's a kind of quite important important point you might say automation um reduces the need of an umpire but if you watch tennis players row and argue all the time that that is where you do need some human contact and i think having someone experienced in there who kind of understands the game well uh, is quite an important thing in those situations um but yeah i mean look from a from a, a purely sporting point i suppose you kind of want it i I guess I'm still a little bit. I quite like this drama, really. I think it makes it. It gives us something to talk about. It's a bit interesting, isn't it? You know, it may not be the fairest thing in the world, but but what is fair in this world? You know, that actually makes it a bit more human um, to me, rather than having something absolutely perfect. But I, I may be alone in sporting that view. <laughs> I'm kind of. I kind of agree with you, George. Like, and I know that like no player will ever say this, and and equally like. Cowan, I will. That would ne- you would never agree with this, but uh, sport isn't always about absolute truth. Um, like that, 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 there's this sort of feeling, and we've learned this in football. That there's this feeling in football that 
we had to get the absolute right decision every time and that's what mattered and actually what we've kind of learnt with VAR is that we would actually rather they got it wrong sometimes not that we would rather they got it wrong but if the sacrifice is the fluidity and the passion of the game then and, and I appreciate that doesn't translate into tennis but what I mean is that there are moments when absolute truth does not matter as much in sport and I appreciate and Calvin I'll, I'll let you speak for yourself but I appreciate that when you work in sport in elite sport it, it is absolute like the scoreboard doesn't lie the rankings don't lie and so line calls are either in or they're out it's not like well sometimes people get it wrong yeah no and listen I, I mostly agree on that and no one is same with VAR and football that we've become obsessed with, and I keep saying the same thing. No one's ever fell in love with sport because of the they they saw loads of decisions getting made correctly. Mm. Like that's just not the way that we we start viewing sport or fall in love with it. Um, I I'd still that just made me change my opinion a little bit. I'm still I'm still not. I still would like still like having line judges on the courts and that kind of thing, but I I just don't think that kind of thing. Should, should happen. I think you know. Maybe the next question is like, are the line judges good enough? And I've I've always thought that they're probably not, mm. to be honest. And and you know that goes right down the levels. And I don't really know how you solve that. I don't know about the training. And you know, it's, it's interesting that the players think that probably the and again you can't really solve this. The players think the line judges are just too close. That you can't see, you can't see well enough with how close they stand to the oh, lines. Um, but you can't do anything about that. You know, like, what are you going to do? You can't, <laughs> can't move the them outside box. of the. Yeah, you can't move outside of the stand. But um, you know, what what would we be saying? What what would the situation be now if, if say Murray hadn't had any challenges left, and he couldn't have challenged that call, and it got and the ball was called out, like the ball was called out, and it was in. There'd be a lot more to say about it now. I think. I just think that he shouldn't, you know. Look, who knows? He might have. We 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 never know. It would only have brought him to break point. You know, he might have played a couple of really passive points and been back to juice, <laughs> like um, you know, yeah. just rolling the ball to back. And we don't know. I'm not saying it, it changed the match. It potentially did though. And I, I just don't think that that you know it should hang on that. But also, like you say, James, I don't want it to. I don't want us to get to a state where it's like football, where we're you know arguing about every decision. I don't think it could really because. The main problem in football, other than the off, other than the offsides, which get a bit silly, uh, we're bringing VAR in for still for subjective decisions, and so nothing has really changed there. We're just looking at the same decisions that we got wrong, and we're still having the same arguments as we are now. Whereas in tennis, it's more specifically: was that in or was that out? I think the um, I I, don't, I, re I really don't want to point fingers at the officials here, but the one person who had a the perfect view of this one was actually the umpire. And mm. I do think the umpire should have said, that's worth a look. Do you know what I mean? But I think there I, should I know, be more. I, I completely I've seen them do that before. But they, they do do that. But they shouldn't. Like, it, they absolutely shouldn't. Like, every time you see, like, a player looks at an umpire for a call and the, the umpire, like, nods their head, like, yeah, no, that was out. It's like, well, they should just do that every time. Or just be like, mate, they're called out. I don't know. A challenge I, system. I, if you want to challenge Well, I think there's two you. things. First of all, if I'm being really harsh, he should make the call. He should get it right in the first place, the umpire. There's no excuse. Well, not. It was a slow ball. Case, sorry, sorry, excuse me. She in this case. That was that was my uh, you know reverse sexism there where I assumed it was a man who got it wrong. <laughs> yeah, um, good, good try. <laughs> good save. Um, 
Yeah, she should have, she should have got it right in the first place. Yeah. You know that 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 there's no no real excuse. It wasn't a fast ball. It was a slow looper. It's one she should be saying overruled on. But I do think there's a bit of a middle ground where if you're not a hundred percent sure, and a player looks at you, I actually I'm I'm in the camp that I don't really mind them them saying I think it's worth a look. I think if they've shorts out and they're trying to save a player a challenge, then fine. But I I sort of think that encouraging challenge is good. I mean on Calvin's point about if. Murray didn't have any challenges left. Well, that would be his own fault because he wastes so many ridiculous <laughs> ones throughout the match that I would have absolutely zero sympathy with him. But um, anyway, it, also, uh, I realise we're being very bogged down in Murray. You know, what Calvin's just said there about not knowing. I mean, there were many times in the match where Murray had good opportunities on the Sisyphus serve and he, he then walloped down two aces or two unreturns afterwards. And to his credit, I thought Sisyphus served on the whole pretty well. And his forehand is is a serious weapon when mm. it's firing, um, particularly on that first set. I mean, he he played. That was one of the best sets I've seen Sisbass play for a while. Really, um, he looked elite again. Yeah, that's a fair point. Sisbass did play incredibly well, and the part of the reason I I think, and I, we've already been over this, but the reason Murray Strashy got so one tone, I think, is that um, he he was just getting hit off the court by Sitsipas' forehand. And it was like, well, I've only really got one option now. And the other thing, as much as we slate this guy, he's beaten Federer, Nadal, Murray in best of five sets at Grand Slams. Like, I know he's not <laughs> always felt like a mental powerhouse, Sitsipas, but he, he probably more than anyone of anyone who's come through has the big wins to his belt. And I, I think... We, we sometimes don't give him the credit he deserves, particularly acknowledging he, he's got a massive deficiency. Yeah, I agree. Calvin? Um, just a closer on this one, I was, uh, again, probably should have discussed it earlier, that I was told yesterday from somebody who'd been speaking to some of the data people that apparently Murray's ball pace, ground stroke ball pace, in sets two and three was 10% higher than in sets one, four and five. That's interesting. Whack yeah. it harder, win more points. That's my yeah. takeaway there. Um, we should just, uh, before we uh, move on, uh, George, sorry, you want to say something have, else? Well, just one final point on that as well. If Murray also wants to point the finger at someone, point it at Wimbledon, why the hell are they starting at one thirty every day? They could have finished that match. And I think Murray finished, I think Murray wins it that night. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, listen, we might as well get into it now. The scheduling at Wimbledon, is an absolute disgrace. It's an absolute disgrace. This nonsense of starting matches, the arrogance of the place to say that we don't start until 1.30 in the afternoon. It's just absolute bullshit. Let's get mm. it out there. It's about what... You know, it's, it's about... There's three matches on the court, one of which is always a women's match, sometimes two. Yesterday was two. Two women's match on centre yesterday? Uh, yeah, maybe, yeah, sure. Yeah, and they finished just before 11 o'clock. Like is it, they only they only got finished last night because Rabakina absolutely tonked Bolter, mm. right? If that was any sort of normal match length, they wouldn't have finished the match. Wouldn't have finished three matches. Yeah. It's just absolute rubbish, and it's based on nothing, absolutely nothing other than sheer arrogance of the club. The exceptionalism of that place is mind-boggling, and that's why I think it's. I, I just don't think it's a good tournament. I think it's a shit tournament. I'll be honest, <laughs> but. But like it's just, and that's what annoys me about. And it's one of the things that annoys me about. It. There's other things that I may go into later. 
Yeah, I, I mean, the, the other angle to this is that you're broadcasting a tournament on the main channels. It's been raining at least two of the five days so far. Basically a washout from 11 to 1.30. What are you doing? Just just start at 12 or something on the main courts. That, I, I kind of understand a bit of like, oh, let's make our big courts start slightly later to show they're better than the other ones. But equally, come on. You sat there with dead air watching matches from two days ago. It's just, mm. just ridiculous. I mean, it's also I, I because I got into an argument with someone about this who claimed that they never used to do this and matches used to start at 2pm and they always used to put the best match on first so that people could come down and it's all because of TV and greed and money and I went and dug through some old orders of play. The best matches, at least in the last 20 years, always been on third um, so that it hits primetime TV uh, and actually, until about 10 years ago, Centre Court started at 1 o'clock, not 1.30. Um, so why or wherefore that change was made, I haven't really been able to identify. But they've actually moved it to a later start rather than moving it to an earlier one, which seems particularly farcical. I'm sure there are good reasons, but I'm yet to be told them. I mean, the reason I suspect this is happening, and it's the same in tennis across across the world, is this desperation for night matches and night sessions and hmm. really kind of late maximizing that. But I think if you want that, stick two women's matches on and two men's matches today and start the bloody thing at 11. You'll get that either way. There's always going to be a slightly longer thing going on. I, I just, I don't know. I just think it's absolutely mind boggling that they've twice this week not finished two days or come very close to not finishing two sets of three matches. Three matches. It's absolutely nothing. Some tournaments are putting bloody six on. It's also like George says there, this this thing about night matches. They don't have any floodlights at Wimbledon and they're playing maps in the dark. The players I would have played a match in the dark the other day. The mm. centre court centre court floodlights had been on for an hour by the time that our match finished. And it's not, you know, that's not excuse making. My players who I was coaching lost, but it wasn't because it got dark. But it is absolutely ludicrous that this if if the question to be asked is right, why are the lights on on centre court? And the question the, the, the answer that whenever you ask why the lights is on in any circumstances because you can't see without them. So right. So, so why are the why are they why are they still playing outside then? If you, if you need lights on on one court, why are they still playing outside? And that that's it's ridiculous. There was one of the nights last week. All the outside courts were playing, and I guarantee you they wouldn't have played cricket in that light. And it's also, pathetic. It's again the exceptionalism of Wimbledon. Like no 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 no, we're going to carry on playing. No no, carry on carry on. Know your place. Also, they must be the only tournament in the world that would actually stick to a curfew as well. Are you telling me if this was the French, they wouldn't just play through to midnight to finish that match? They wouldn't give a shit about the residents. <laughs> and rightly so, it's two weeks a year, for God's sake. Get over yourselves. Yeah. None of them there. They all read the house down for the players. <laughs> I mean, yeah, of course, the, the subcurrent to that is that Wimbledon is currently going through a very, very sticky planning <laughs> <Yeah>. process, mostly <laughs> obstructed by the residents, yeah. and under no circumstances are they going to inflame them any further. Um, for people who don't know, they're trying to build more courts uh, on the other side of Church Road on what used to be the golf course, which they've successfully bought and shut down, but the planning is getting kicked down the road because they completely failed to engage with the residents who are, of course, around Wimbledon quite well off, Several of them are KCs and have upped their legal challenge to the whole thing. So Wimbledon are in a spot of bother there. Um, it should be noted that Murray has broken the curfew before. 
Uh, he beat Marcus Bagdatis in the third round, uh, I believe, was it 2012 maybe? And uh, that match finished at 11.02. So, you know. Really pushed the boats out. Yeah, exactly. Uh, right, uh, the other thing I want to mention from Friday's action is Liam Brody, who lost to Denis Shapovalov. I think we all maybe predicted Shapovalov to win in three, uh, but Brodes, as as he has spent much of his career doing, exceeded expectations and uh, took the first set. And I think he was a break-up in the second and the third. He was certainly a break-up in the third, um, maybe not the second. Uh, I mean, Calvin, that... <sighs> It's not a great matchup for him, obviously Shapovalov, but he'll be he'll be pleased that he went, you know, not close, but that he gave him a good go. Uh, yeah. Oh, go on, sorry, Josh. Yeah, no, I was just gonna say, I mean, Calvin will know Broads better than me, but I, I really had Shapovalov to be too powerful for him. I thought it was a, a kind of bad matchup, lefty to lefty. Um, so to kind of drag that into a close one, I know, I know, we sometimes say oh, losing a close match is just as bad as losing it in straight sets, anyway, but. Um, I, I think he'll have taken so much confidence from this tournament, Liam. Um, even if we kind of acknowledge that Casper is not the world's best grass court player, you know, mentally to still go out there and beat a guy ranked that high is huge for someone like for Liam, who, who doesn't really have the experience of doing that that often. Um, and to push another guy who, okay, hasn't been in perfect form but has shown in the past he's he can be a serious grass court player and has got huge weapons even if he can brain fast occasionally um i, th- I think he'll take a lot from this and he, I, i'm not sure what his ranking is at the minute but i'm assuming he's kind of knocking on the door of top 100 now um, 120 maybe, i think off the top of my head 120 so you know that that's another great goal for him to try and push through he, he he'll have further belief he can do it and yeah, it's, he's a lovely guy, so great to see him doing well. Cowan? Um, yeah, sorry. Um, yeah, I mean, he's, he's he's had a good run, and I think, you know, at Broads's, at Broads's level, it's it's two things. It's good money for him. You know, that's, that's, that's key. And also, it gives him a real platform now to go and try and have a real crack at the top 100. Hmm. Um, I think that puts him about 125-ish. 126, like I believe, yeah. five. Yeah, and I think um, I did hear that a semi-final in Newport next week might nudge him to top 100. Hmm. Um, so I know he's going to Newport, and yeah, hopefully he can uh, make that semi. He's in good shape, so so why not? Newport's always a tricky one. You never really know who's going to turn out for that one. Yeah, it can sometimes be really weak. So this is the week sometimes. after Wimbledon, but it's still on grass, isn't it? Yeah, um, and it can also sometimes like if you get a couple of decent grass court players who've got who've had bad draws that who get knocked out Wimbledon then you can see them turning up there because they want to get their points on the grass and there are a few of those who didn't make the second week mm. um, who you can imagine will turn up there I'm just having a look at the entry list as it stands at the moment Tommy Paul Adrian Manorino, Ugo Umber, Christopher Eubanks, who will presumably pull out because he is into the second week yeah, of Wimbledon. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Maxime Cressy is on there. Max Purcell. Uh, Kevin Anderson's got a wild card, which is a surprise because I'm fairly Both sure retired. he's retired. Yeah. Well, I'm just I can only tell you what I've got in front of me. Um, I, he has won that tournament at least once, if not more. So maybe it's a bit of a well. I'm here, and he's coming up anyway. Um, James Duckworth is on the entry list for that as well. I don't know how fit he is, but it'd be fun if he uh, comes back to uh, to play that. Um, right, 
I think that's all we've got from Friday. I appreciate we haven't mentioned Novak Djokovic, who won in straight sets, and Carlos Alcaraz, who won in straight sets, and Iga Shontek, who won in straight sets, but that is why. Uh, come back tomorrow for more. Uh, our review of day six. Five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.